0: Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there podcast listeners, thank you so much for coming back to the authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have the privilege of talking with Kit Bakke. Kit is one of the original Seattle 7 that I was able to get on the show. So I'm super excited. We'll talk a little bit about that. I know we've talked about that in the past. But Kit, why don't you say hi to the listeners?
1: Hi, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Vicki.
0: You are so welcome. So, Kit, where are you living at? What state in the Pacific Northwest do you live in?
1: Smack in the middle of Seattle.
0: Are you original Seattleite, or are you transplant, or what's the story?
1: (laughs) Yes, I was born at Swedish Hospital in Seattle.
0: Congratulations, there's so few Seattleites left. (laughs) Original authors, too. (laughs) It seems like everybody's transplant, but no, that's great. And you were probably one of the lucky ones that bought a house way back before everything got crazy. In yes, the yes,
1: yes. Although I have to give uh, a shout to the east side of uh, the lake because I actually grew up and went to high school in uh, Kirkland.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Now all my family moved up to Seattle. I'm from Southwest Washington. Everybody's in Seattle or the greater Seattle area from Olympia to right. Beth Bellingham or whatever. Yeah. So I'm all Seattle. And yeah. it's funny when I meet people from out of state, they're like, oh, you live in Washington. You live in Seattle. Nope, not even nope. close. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay. Okay, as a way of introduction to listeners that might not know anything about you, let's start out with a little bit about your background. Now, I've read up on you, so I know, but share with the listeners and your future readers before writing, what were you doing before you're a writer?
1: I have to admit that I'm not one of those authors who just can't not write. Mm -hmm. It isn't like it was a childhood dream and uh, all of that kind of stuff. I had a a long life before I published my first book. This will really date me, but I was very active in the anti-war movement in in the late 1960s and early 1970s. This is by war, the Vietnam War. We have to specify during and after college, I pretty much was full time working in anti-racism and anti-war groups around organizations actually all all over the country. And then I got to a point where I realized I had to actually earn a living. I certainly didn't turn to writing at that point. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I went to nursing school and was a nurse at Children's Hospital in Seattle for, I don't know, 13, 14 years. And I went to graduate school twice i have a master's in nursing primarily in hospice care and also a master's in public health
0: Um, interesting yeah i'm sure you find the times very interesting
1: right now yes yes public health people public health is getting to be something people know something about exactly
0: (laughs) pre-covid nobody (laughs) knew about you now we're like who
1: are you yeah right Save (laughs) save us save us Uh, I went through several jobs after children's. I worked at what was group health. Now it's Kaiser for another eight or 10 years. And then I went into consulting primarily around hospitals that were implementing electronic records, electronic records.
0: Which we're still trying to get done.
1: Uh, Still trying to get it. Mm -hmm. But but those early days were even weirder and worse. I can
0: imagine. I can imagine. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I started... A, a, a writing a book and yep. got got away from me in a sense, and I was lucky enough that when I'm really deep in writing, when I think I've really got something, I get very irritable.
0: Oh, and, I'm the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and annoying. And my, my husband finally said, in the midst of the book about Louisa May Alcott, he he finally said, "Listen," and and I was working full time at the yeah. time. Of course. Yeah. And so I wasn't getting a lot of sleep and blah, blah, blah. So he finally said, listen, why don't you quit your job, write this book, and shut up about it.
0: I (laughs) love it. Good husband, by the way. We'll just put it that way. (laughs) I'm waiting for my husband to say the same thing. Just quit the day job. You're doing too much, but that's not going to (laughs) happen.
1: So, yeah, so I did. And I've gone back to work on other kinds of more writing consulting jobs but very little and nothing in the last I don't know four years four or five years so, so I'm, in, I'm just writing
0: yeah so from the day job ish you're now retired full-time writer as well yeah, that's uh, what you would say the dream yeah. that's my yes. goal I see someday at the end of this uh, yep. this tunnel <laughs>
1: You've got a few years to go. <laughs> yes,
0: I do, but I'm working towards it because my big fear would be to retire, not know what I was going to do, and flounder around for oh. five or ten years, and then by then I would be like, who knows
1: what, right? <laughs>
0: Especially in this world.
1: Oh, absolutely, that is so true. I do have friends who have retired, and exactly that—they clean out their closets, and yeah. then they don't know now what am I going to do? You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, and and. And one woman in particular, she went back
0: to work. Yep, exactly. And that's my fear. So I I love to work. I'm in higher ed, and I really do love my job. I have a fantastic job. I work from home. I've been working from home pre-COVID, going on nine years. Love what I do. But I knew that there was going to be more for me, and I always wanted to be a writer. And And the podcast landed literally in my lap, and I always strived to do something more like I always have to be busy and I was fearful that all I would do is put around my garden nothing wrong with retiring and puttering around a garden Totally fine but I knew I would go crazy doing that and so I was like I gotta think about this just like I projected when my kids were little what was my life gonna start looking like when they moved out of the house and I was an empty nester I got myself to that place that's where we're at now so now I'm looking at the next lining <laughs>
1: yeah, yep. you sound very organized. i really-
0: <laughs> oh, its all from necessity. I tell you, I'm a control freak. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't wing anything. No. no, that's funny. Awesome. So, Kit, so the metamorphosis of you becoming a writer—did it start with your first book, or had you been dabbling in short stories?
1: No, short stories. Personally, I think short stories are probably harder to write than they're terribly hard than longer format things because <laughs> you have to really know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, you really have to be. A, fantastic writer for those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah great yeah. okay so here's one question i ask everybody before we jump into the nitty-gritty about your writing process and how you operate as an author what are you currently reading what's on kit's bookshelf right now that you're reading
1: i'm reading a bunch of stuff right now around my current writing project i'm rereading actually a calvino's book if on a winter's night a traveler oh okay Calvino It is. this is an amazing book. It's so cleverly uh, organized. It speaks to the reader about writing and about the love of reading. Oh. It's not about the love of reading.
0: That's a fantastic um, process of thinking because we have to be, Readers, very avid readers to be good writers. That's yeah. what at least I'm told, and I already am, so I'm okay. have yes. got half that done.
1: <laughs> it was printed, I guess, in the late 1970s. So I'm reading that, and I'm, not, I'm also reading T.C. Boyle. Do you know T.C. Boyle?
0: hmm
1: oh, Excellent writer. Oh, good. Um, he, he, he wrote a book called Riven Rock, which is the one I'm reading right now. Okay. Um, he lives in Santa Barbara. And much of what he writes is around Southern California and and writing. It's fiction, but it's always about real people. Oh, Um, fascinating. And he's also just a terrific writer.
0: Well, I'll add him personally to my reading list because my stepdaughter and her mom lived in Santa Barbara for decades. So I... Love the area so very
1: oh, oh. I'll tell you then, Riven Rock, the name of the book I'm reading right now, is about the building, the estate that... Prince Harry and Meghan Markle just bought.
0: Just bought, yeah. I, I thought they had purchased something in that area. Okay, great. So I'll get that and read yeah. it. So great. So in listeners, now you have two new books to add to your reading list. That's what's so fun about this podcast. My reading list, besides just the authors that I've met on the podcast, then I get these other recommendations and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm never going to get through it until I retire. <laughs> yeah,
1: I <know. laughs>
0: I want to ask you the question about your books because I I need to know: Do you are you stuck in one specific genre, or have you written several different genres? Let's start out with the titles of the books, and then you can fill us in a little bit about the genre of each one.
1: The first book is called Miss Alcott's Email, and it is that was my pioneering thing of learning about the book world about. Pub, the business part of it. Uh-huh. I was told that a book has to either be fiction or nonfiction. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, and so this book is ninety nine percent nonfiction, but just that one percent of fiction means you have to call it fiction.
0: Oh, I got gotcha. you.
1: It's fiction, but it again, it's fiction about Louisa May Alcott. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the first one that came out in two thousand and six. The and the. Publisher was a is a Boston publisher. The second book is called Dancing on the Edge. It's been published under a, non, a couple of different publishers. It's this is a very long story. If people want to know how the ups and downs and bumps of you've lived it, <laughs> finding a publisher, this is totally it. It, it is straight fiction. Mm -hmm. I wrote it as a young adult novel. The main character is 12 years old, but it's, from what I hear, adults read. Oh, I love young
0: adult, actually. um, Because it's not as, you can touch on themes without touching on some of the more erotic aspects of like romance and stuff like that. It's clean and it's fun. So I love young adult.
1: Yeah, yeah. It It was very fun to write. The third book is 100% nonfiction, and it's the story of one of the anti-war groups that was working in the late 60s and early 70s. It's based in Seattle. The book is called Protest on Trial, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about the Seattle 7 federal conspiracy trial. The leaders of the movement in Seattle at that time, and I was not one of them. But I knew them through other things in other parts of the country. There was a federal conspiracy trial against these mm-hmm. seven leaders. And it's, it, it's a pretty much of an untold story because it happened in Seattle. Nobody cares about Seattle, really, and they cared about it even less in 1970.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah, Um, it was not the hub of protest, as it has become now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, things things have changed a bit. Anyway, that was a process of six years of interviews and getting FBI files and- Oh, how exciting. Freedom of Information Act stuff Mm -hmm. and a lot of work.
0: I want to touch on each one of those, but I want to start with the last one because it feels relevant to our time, yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so when did you start writing? It took you six years. So you ha- we had no clue where our life was going to be at right now, currently in the COVID and the crazy political, wherever you're at in the political world, everybody recognizes it's crazy political right now. So- I just am curious from your background of protest in your past and your life, how do you feel like you, this book would fit into a modern Zen? like right now? Wouldn't it be great for people to get your book and read about it? Because it's history that could potentially get repeated. What are your thoughts on that?
1: <laughs> I think it does have some relevancy to people thinking about strategies and tactics to fight back today. Mm-hmm. It was a very different world then in many ways. There was no internet. There were no yeah. cell phones. A lot of the organizing tools that people use today did not exist then. And at the same time, the, the power of the federal government is much stronger today than it was then. They can attack yeah. you. They yep. can. They know where we are all the time. Yeah, it, yeah it's a little scary, isn't it? Especially
0: yeah. probably from your perspective. You know? Yeah,
1: that wasn't true then. We were able to slip under the radar of the FBI a lot, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot. Given that, there still, I think, are important messages. The biggest one to me. And the guys, there were actually, there was one woman and the rest were guys in this particular trial. They were like me at that time. 100% of their time was involved in trying to get the U.S. Army out of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, They were not weekend warriors. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a personal life in a Mm way. I think it's important for people to know that you can do that and come out the other end. At the end of the book, I say, and so where are they now? What do they think about their younger days? I think some wisdom out of that. And, it, and the other part of the book You learn about grand juries, which I think people ought to know more about.
0: I agree 100% with you.
1: Very dangerous. Very dangerous. dangerous.
0: And I feel like our American population currently is very ignorant of the power something like that may have for standard everyday people. They just are ignorant to it. Or they read whatever news whatever, and they just don't understand the power behind it. Very good messaging. My listeners, if you, this intrigues you, for any side, I don't care, jump on Kit's website, grab the book, because I know I'm going to get it. It sounds very fascinating to me. Of course, FBI files for me are like, my alley. I have this like whole desire to dig into some of that stuff myself and see what stories would come out. It would be interesting. <laughs> well,
1: that's really true. And, and can I just give a plug to the University yes. of Washington Special Collections, uh, the University of Washington Libraries? They have a pretty darn good collection of some of that material, including I donated my FBI file to them.
0: Good for you. So. A you might not have known this kit, but I am a librarian as well. That's um, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I've dubbed myself the author's librarian because my mission is to help authors that don't know how to access libraries to access them and not just Google or Wikipedia. So good for you. You landed on one of the best collections in the state for sure. And all around. Hey, that's exciting. Love to hear that. So there's a plug for my my other thing. <laughs> Let's go to the first book you wrote and remind us of the title. And so the in, the read, listeners can be like, oh, I want that book too. Let us know a little bit about it.
1: <laughs> the book that's titled Miss Alcott's Email. Mm-hmm. And it's about Louisa May Alcott as if she and I were communicating. Oh, that's such a great idea. Email. I love it. So, through something that I don't describe I sent her a letter and I sent it on in my on my computer and she received it in pen and ink the way and it was right near the end of her life so she was able to talk about her whole life and I asked her to tell me about her life because The things that, uh, Louisa May Alcott was way more than just a um, writer. Yes. She was very involved in the abolition movement prior to the Civil War, so basically civil rights and anti-racism stuff. And she was very involved in the early stages of the women's suffrage movement. She lived a very
0: untraditional life, completely untraditional yeah. life.
1: She just, she was a very principled person. It was a the hundred years between us, basically. Mm-hmm. I said that I would tell her what had happened in the subsequent hundred years with civil rights and racism, if she would then turn around and tell me the story of her life.
0: That's very cool.
1: And she agreed to do that. Who would turn that down? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a letter of the future. Who wouldn't
0: Right, right. email like that like, score, let's go for this, see what happens. <laughs>
1: that's right, that's right. I tell her a little bit about my life. She tells her tells me about her life, and we go back and forth in a in a chapter by chapter.
0: Did this concept just hit you one day? Were you reading about her? Did it come to you in a dream? Because I believe in dreams instigating people's writing. So how did this brilliant idea come to you?
1: <laughs> oh, this is, it's a long, longish story. It just came to me. It had to do with 9-11 and women and mm-hmm. America. If you think of my earlier anti-war days, I basically was not... A patriot. I was willing to have the American government wept away. So I never thought of myself as a patriot. 9/11 happened. I was actually in Paris at the time, or in Italy at that point. But I was incensed. I was like suddenly a patriot. How can you do this to my country? I thought, and so I thought, okay, look, if. If I'm going to head back to the barricades, I didn't know. You didn't know what was going to happen. I want to think about some woman in American history who was, as I say, principled and thoughtful about what she did with her life based on the big picture, as opposed to just your personal life. So I was in the, at the dentist one day. This is... <laughs> I love when authors get these moments. <laughs> you just and never you know, know when they're going to come. You know, you know how their chairs, like you lean way back in yeah. chairs nowadays. So I was leaning way back, a lot of blood in my head. And all of a sudden, literally, Louisa May Alcott came into my life. I love it. And I so I went to the university bookstore right away after that and discovered that her journal, her diaries, her letters, everything had been published. That's when I started reading because I didn't know. Oh, she was a nurse too. That's the other thing. Oh, I had she, read that
0: somewhere before.
1: She, yeah. was a, she was a nurse, not for a very long time, but in this in the Civil War, she was a yeah. nurse with the Union Army. So I could tell her about healthcare and nursing a hundred years. Anyway, that's where it came from.
0: That's going on my reading list because it's absolutely a creative entity coming to you when you have something that good happen, and you're like. I just I gotta write this, so I understand where you went into that mode of grumpy. I gotta get this out, and I'm right. working full time because <laughs> you know I get that. And the research part of all of it, my husband laughs at me all the time because I'm working on my first book, it's historical fiction, based around Elizabeth the First era. Oh. Has nothing to do with Elizabeth's court. Everybody writes about Elizabeth's court, right. and I'm writing about a lady coming of age during that time and the oh. struggles of having to choose marriage over possible love. It's not a romance story. When this story came to me, it was like epic in my head. I finally finished the very first draft of it with my writer's group. They've been reviewing it. Now I'm going back and editing it. And all in the midst of that, I started the podcast and my husband's like, can't you just write the book? Why can't we just sit down and listen about Annabelle and Albert and William in the book? Why, do we, why are you doing all the podcasts and everything else? I'm like, because I have to learn from other authors. There's so much He's just you've just thrown yourself into this. I'm like, I was either gonna go get my doctorate or become an author. So this is the cheaper route kind of <laughs> good 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 for you yeah so I get that we call it the side hustle because it's like after work it's everything around yeah. it. okay yeah. are all three books in uh, traditionally published
1: yes at this point they are the one uh that I'm going to read which is the young adult one which was the second is called dancing on the edge and it was initially self-published okay um I used CreateSpace. It was actually a pretty good experience. Mm -hmm. I was amazed at how fast it was compared to a traditional (laughs) publisher because compared to the Ms. Alcott book, very different experience. But then it was picked up by a publisher. They were very good, except they went out of business after a year. Then picked up by another publisher.
0: Oh, that's interesting because that usually doesn't happen uh, second publishing
1: it was um, strange. And that's So it is currently available through that second publisher. And they basically took the exact same yeah. book. But they did redo the cover.
0: What I find interesting is throughout the two years of this podcast, one of the main questions is about publishing with yeah. the authors. Because there's now so many different avenues and ways of doing it. You almost were on the cusp of the very beginning of self-publishing. But yeah. you had already done traditional Right. What made you decide to go to self-publishing?
1: I couldn't find a publisher who'd take it because it's completely different when you Uh, ah,
0: because they want to pinch you in your genre and type. Okay. Well,
1: and I'm not really trying to build a personal career. I don't have to. I don't care about name. I don't know. I'm just. I get bored doing the same thing more than once. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I totally get it. I love it. Now I'm hearing all this advice. And I don't know if it's true. And I don't really, I'm not going to believe anything. I'm just going to go on my journey and see what happens. But I've heard you can't self-publish. Nobody will pick it up. If it's on Amazon, it's owned by Amazon. Agents won't touch you if it's self-published. I find it interesting that you had self-published and it got picked up two times. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe that's not the truth. Who knows these days, right? (laughs)
1: And then I have to say, in terms of publishing, for the third book, The Protest on Trial, nonfiction book, I decided that I wanted to see what it was like to be published by an academic press. Oh, and that's
0: completely different.
1: And it was very different. Also very good, though. Mm -hmm. And it was the Washington State University Press. I could
0: see why they would, because it really, you use their resources, but it's also so historical. They could use it in one of their classes. Uh, or two, but what's so interesting about academic presses from what I've heard and had a little bit of dealing with in my own academic life is there's a jury it's not just one publisher that reads it there's a jury of experts in the fields that will read it if you get one or two on your board they love it but others don't it's likely it's not going to go in their catalog what's interesting about it too is that it's in a catalog almost sometimes for life but doesn't mean it's going to sell anywhere because (laughs) it's an academic work
1: (laughs) well and they don't um they don't do any marketing. up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. nobody does unless you're one of the tenors. Well, that's the key. And that's the thing we talk about a lot is that authors now are solely responsible for almost all their own PR work. They might hire a publicist to help them, but they're not given one. It's not like in their contract. You have to be willing to get out there and do it. and. Yeah you the hustle. Yes. Listeners, before we jump into the reading from this author, I wanted to pause for just a minute to have a chat with you about an opportunity that you have to support this podcast. Jump onto mycoffee.com link and buy me a cup of coffee. And for as little as $3, you can help support this podcast, which has been running for two years and has been free to everyone. So if you enjoy this episode or any of the other episodes, show me your love and your support and send me a cup of coffee. And I promise all the money raised on that site goes to Directly to keeping this podcast free. Thanks, and let's get to the reading. Let's go ahead and jump into the reading. Set up a stage for the part you're going to read with whatever you need to share with us about the characters. My listeners know that I will go on mute while you read, and I'll take us out the podcast when
1: you're done. I'm going to read from a book called Dancing on the Edge, which was a young adult novel, the second of my three published books, And I don't actually have to tell you anything in preparation because I'm going to start with page one. Chapter one is called The Red Tsunami. Dot's, Dot is actually the child's name. Dot's lengthening 12-year-old body lay curled on her ratty Tinkerbell rug. She should have given Tink away years ago along with her thrift store Lego people and her frog and toad books. But she didn't, and now she knew she never could. They were the only real family she had left. Dot tried to curve herself into the exact shape of the short-haired pixie stitched onto the shaggy round rug. She kept her eyes wide open, anchored to the yellow wall opposite her unmade bed. Dot and her mother had painted her room last summer, picking out a sunny color that matched the insides of the Shasta daisies that bloomed in huge floppy clumps on their narrow backyard. Although the cheerful color didn't really help, it wasn't as bad as it might have been. Damn glad we didn't pick red, Dot whispered to the pillow, to the yellow wall, knowing her mother would not have minded the swearing one bit. The main difference between Dot and Tinkerbell on the rug was that the pixie's right arm was stretched high over her head, pointing her magic wand and spewing silvery threads across the rug's dark blue background. Dot, though, pressed her arms tightly against her body, taking up as little space as possible. Whether she was holding herself in or fighting the world off, she could not Thea, her mother, would have known which, and in fact, likely it was both. And right away, she would have said the the precisely perfect words to open Dot back up. But Thea wasn't around anymore. Thea had died a week ago, and now the funeral was over. Only Dot and her Aunt Tab, and Thea, had been there, so it wasn't much of a ceremony. Dot had mostly kept her eyes closed, which wasn't a good strategy. Open was better because it helped to block the bad memories. But Open was bad, too, because whatever she looked at reminded her of how empty and useless and stupid the world had become. We'll take the ashes home so we can figure out what Thea would have done with them, Aunt Tab had said, which Dot thought was creepy, and she said so, too, in a loud voice. Not that Aunt Tab paid any attention. Aunt Tab was just another part of the barren world that no longer made sense and obviously didn't care. I'm just a Dot of nothing, Dot whispered to Tink. She didn't expect Tinkerbell to answer back, and even if she could, Dot didn't expect her to make things right nothing was ever going to be right again not ever not since dot had seen her mother's blood all over the sidewalk
0: oh my goodness i'm hooked i need to know what happened
1: i know i know, I know.
0: Dot, that- dot's a character already what she's got herself a nice little uh, character going there Awesome. Okay, so listeners, I hope you were hooked. I hope you were hooked with all three books that Kit has shared because they're vastly different in my opinion and it shows that that your creativity and your ability to write differently. So that's wonderful. Let me ask you this one last question as we head out of the podcast, Kit. What keeps you going? What inspires you to write? There's a loaded question there. So it could either be what keeps you going or what inspires you.
1: I'm not sure that it's a good thing. It could be partly like me. I want people to pay attention to me. There could be some of that. And there could also be like, I want to leave something. I don't want to just be gone from the world. I don't feel like those are the reasons. I don't feel like those are very good reasons. Oh, no. I'm going to
0: claim the legacy reason with you because having two daughters in this world and being raised from vastly different values than I have now, I really wanted to show my daughters that they could be everything they ever wanted to be. They could go to school if they wanted to. They could be creative. They could have a family. They could do all of it. So that for me was my legacy reason for continuing, like doing all this. So I'm going to let you have that because I think it's a valid reason.
1: <laughs> okay, that's good. That's I have two daughters too, which is very fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I also like the process of inventing and writing. The, it's the process that keeps you going, mm-hmm. not the not really the result in a lot of ways. Yeah.
0: yeah. It feels like it's an artistic endeavor, like somebody that would be doing clay or painting or whatever. It's painting with words. And it really is an artistic process in my mind. And I know for me, when I'm in the middle of that process, that's when I feel the most alive.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, I agree. That's exactly right. And it's, I mean, fiddling around with words and and trying to think, what do I really want to say here? And how... I always think about my reader, always how to make it easier on the reader.
0: Yep. Yeah. I love it. And that's great advice because I always ask an advice question, but I think that's really great advice to think about the reader and as an author and how to make it easier for them. Don't make them work too hard. They don't you yeah. know, deserve that. Right, <laughs> their, right. time, their time is very limited and they're like, we're lucky if they pick up our book. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Yes. You're right. Well, it has
0: been an awesome pleasure to meet you. I I feel like the universe has brought us together at this right time. When we get this out, I think it'll be good timing. I wish you all the best. And I hope that you continue to write and do another book so we can bring you back on
1: the podcast. Thank you. I would love to. And Good luck with Elizabeth. uh, Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. The world's waiting for her. So I got to get her done. Get her out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Listeners, if you love this podcast and you pick up one of Kit's books, make sure you email her. Her website will be on the show notes. By the way, your website's beautiful. I love the kayak on it beautiful beautiful we're in the middle of kayak season right now and every waking hour all I can do is think about getting out in the water (laughs) listeners go to her website make sure you let her know you heard her on the podcast it's so important to us to know that you're here you're supporting us and stay safe out there everyone thank you for listening to the podcast we hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you'd like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.